This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. All right. Welcome. We're delighted to have you. Some of you were here at the previous session. Some of you have just come in. So in either case, we will, um, we're delighted that you're here. We're going to spend a little bit of time, open God's word, look at some things that God has to say about us and about beauty and what it means to be a beautiful woman and what beautiful women look like as well as who they are. All right? So let's move forward. Shall we pray? And then we'll begin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have chosen us as your daughters. We thank you that you have chosen us not only to be your daughters, but also to be your witnesses. And we ask, Lord, as we turn to this topic, that you will guide us, that you will direct us, that you will help us to fully understand the things that you want to share with us. We ask these things in your name. Amen. When I received the invitation to come and speak, they actually sent me a list of things that they thought would be helpful for me to talk about. Um, and one of the things they said was, would you talk about attire and modesty? And I thought about that, and, then, and I thought, you know what? Perhaps that question ought to be a different kind of question. And so we will address that issue. But let's talk about it in terms of what I'm calling dressing or beauty from the inside out. When you get up in the morning to get dressed for the day, you don't start with your jacket. That's not the first thing that you put on. However, I think sometimes as Christian women, when we think about our appearance, when we think about modesty, we start with the jacket. And we address it from the outside first. And I think that some of the challenges that we face in addressing it have to do with coming from the outside first. So I'd like to start with beauty from the inside and then build through. Where would you send someone, and you notice that I ask this question a lot in sessions, where in the Bible would you send someone to talk about beautiful women? What passage, what place in scripture might you go Proverbs 31. <laughs> you know, whenever you talk about women, the answer always seems to be Proverbs 31. And we will get to Proverbs 31. Um, but perhaps, shall we start somewhere else for an opportunity? Turn with me. Turn with me to Titus. And Titus is one of those passages that we often read when we talk about women. But let's turn to Titus. And look in Titus chapter 2. And in Titus, Paul is 
talking to a young church still through Titus, and he's talking about some of the ways that we live and the things that we do and the things we ought to do. And he talks to old men, and he talks to aged women, and then he talks about young women, and then he talks about young men. He has something to say to each of them. This is what we want to tell you. And maybe our video will show up. Um, and he says in chapter 2, verse 2, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. And then, the aged woman likewise. Teach them to be, depending on the version you may be reading, to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, to teach what is good. Then they could train younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands. And Paul is beginning to talk about women and what it is that one looks for, what it is that one expects in a woman. Let me send you somewhere else. Let's go to Colossians 3. We're going to come back here, so stick your finger or a marker there. Let's go to Colossians 3, and let's look at verses 12 to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against another. Forgive as God forgave you, and over all these things put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. And whatever you do, whether in word or do, deed, do it all to the name of the Lord. I want to take those two passages for a moment and just walk us through it, step by step. We're talking about beauty from the inside. Because, you know how they tell you about health? That if you have a healthy body, it shows in your skin, in your hair, right? The health of your body shows in the beauty of your body. If you drink water, it's going to make a difference in how you look. It's going to make a difference in what kind of hair you have, so forth and so on. And in scripture, in the same way, what's in you makes a difference in the outer you. So let's start with the inner you and walk our way through to the outer you. All right, let's go back to Titus. We're looking at Titus 2. And when Paul starts talking about older women who are going to demonstrate for younger women. Have you ever seen a beautiful older woman? An older woman that just really glows? And Paul says, you know what? It would be a wonderful thing if the older women in the church were beautiful. And then they taught the younger women how to be beautiful. And then we have a whole church of beautiful women who can look at each other and think, oh, look what God has done. Look what God has done. 
He says, what does that look like? By the way, have you ever seen an older woman who's bitter and angry and upset and who seems to have that written on their face? You know, my mother used to say when we were a child, if you fix your face like that, it's going to be like that permanently. And we thought she was joking. But you see some people, and you know that they've been smiling, and it shows. And then you see other women, and you think, you've been frowning a lot for a long time. You've been angry a lot for a long time. So Paul says, here are some things that will help to make beautiful older women who can train beautiful younger women. And he says, you know what? Their behavior should become holiness. But go back to verse 1 for a moment. What does he tell Titus in verse 1? Titus 2, verse 1. Teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. So he says, look, first you have to have a foundation. You've got to teach the women and they have to learn what is in accord with sound doctrine. How well do you know the Bible? Beauty begins, according to Paul, with knowing the word. What's the connection between knowing the word and a beautiful inside? How is it connected? Not a rhetorical question, by the way. When I ask questions, they're usually not rhetorical. I do expect answers. So, help me, help me. What's the connection? One, the word renews the mind, she says. Okay. So one of the connections is that the word renews the mind. What's another connection? Another connection is that the word gives us the standard. It tells us what beauty looks like. Okay. How many of us, at some point in our lives, have looked in a magazine or looked on YouTube or whatever, and we've seen hairstyles? And we decide we want to try that hairstyle. And we look at it, and we try to figure it out, and maybe they describe how to do it, and we go home and we practice. The Bible allows us to see what it is that beauty looks like, so that we can live it, so that we can, led by the Spirit, do it. The other thing that the Bible does for our beauty is it gives us a mirror. How many of you check the mirror before you leave in the morning? When you look in the mirror, what are you looking for? Imperfections? Flaws? Okay. Well, a mirror does two things. A mirror tells us what's working, and it tells us what's not working. So you look in the mirror and you think, oh, my hair is right. I got that right. Okay. Or you look in the mirror and say, you know, there's a piece standing up here at the back, and I might need to. What? A mirror does two things. It shows you what's working. It shows you what's not working. And the Bible says that a man is wise or a woman is wise who looks in the mirror, sees, and then doesn't just walk away, 
but makes the adjustment that's necessary. Beautiful women are women of the word. Beautiful women are women of the word because the word shows us the standard and the word also holds the mirror up to us so that we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can make that adjustment to our beauty. Does that make sense to you? So, if that is the case, how much are we in the word? And when you're in the word and the spirit shows you, what do you do when you walk away from the mirror? The nice thing about GYC, when I come to GYC to speak, is I'm often talking to people who have a love for God's word. I'm talking to people who enjoy scripture. I'm talking to people who, in many cases, study deeply. The word gives us the standard and the mirror, but it only matters if I live it. First thing about beautiful women is that they live with sound doctrine. And then the Bible says that the aged women, those beautiful old women, should be in behavior as becometh holiness. Be reverent in the way that they live. And then they start to talk about it. Not slanderers. Beautiful women have beautiful mouths. You know, when people talk about women, one of the things they talk about is our mouths. Okay. In both senses. Women are stereotypically accused of gossiping, accused of snide comments, accused of using their, way, their mouths in ways that are not gracious or beautiful. And when we talk about inside beauty, one of the things we have to talk about is how do you use your mouth? What are the things that you're saying? And to what degree are those things blessings and not curses? For a minute, think about the last week. What kind of conversations have you had in the last week? What kinds of things have you said in the last week? How many of those things were edifying, building up? How many of those things were not? Can I get in your business a little bit? You know those people at church that irritate you? Every church has at least one. Sometimes it's us. Well, you know those people at church that just kind of and they have stuff to say, and they just get on your nerves. And What do you say when you go home about those people at church that irritate you? What do you say about those people at work that get on your nerves? What do you say when you're driving and people do interesting things <laughs> while you drive? Is your mouth beautiful? Because beautiful women have beautiful wives, um, beautiful mouths. They're not slanderous. They're not addicted to much wine. We're going to talk 
a little bit this afternoon about addictions and some of the non-standard addictions. But one of the things that Paul is saying is beautiful women, and we talked about self-worth and identity in the last session, beautiful women know who they are. And they know whose they are. So they don't have to look to other things to build them up. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But anytime I get a group of women, there's somebody who's addicted to shopping. Always. At least one person whose clo clothing helps to define who they are. And when we start having issues with clothing, we have issues with ourselves. Paul says beautiful women are not addicted to other things. They're not addicted to money. They're not addicted to admiration. They're not addicted because they have not put anything else in the place of God. And that's what an addiction is, is it not? Something that we turn to in the place of God. And we'll talk about that a little more later this afternoon. Um, beautiful women teach what is good. So not only do they have to know something, because you can't teach what you don't know. So these are women who have beautiful minds. I want to ask, what's your mind like? How well-trained how strong, how beautiful is your mind? The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Have you ever thought about what the mind of Christ is like? Not just from a spiritual perspective, but intellectually. What is the mind of Christ like? You know that God is brilliant. You know that God is all-knowing. And you know that we were created in his image. We were created to have strong minds. And women still, even in this generation, are accused of not having strong minds, of not exercising our minds on those hard things, those hard concepts that cause us to think deeply. And this afternoon, when we talk a little bit about some of the things we become addicted to, like romance novels, one of the challenges of some of our addictions is that they weaken our minds. They don't give us the kind of mental exercise that we need to have beautiful minds. Beautiful women have strong minds. And then these beautiful older women can train the younger women. And we'll talk perhaps a little bit this afternoon about the loving their husbands and children. But they can train them to be self-controlled. Why would women need self-control? What kind of self-control do you need? in order to be beautiful. I'll wait for you. Time management. Time management, okay. Yeah, 
Emotional self-control? Patience? Spending? Do you begin to understand why beautiful women, the Bible says, has self-control? They have discipline. This is not something that you develop by yourself. This is something that God develops in you if you let him do it. How many habits in your life are undisciplined at this moment? And believe me, when I ask that question, my list is going in my head. Okay. Can, can I call out some things? Is that all right? What do your finances look like? Are you spending within reasonable limits for purposeful things? Okay. For God's purposes? <coughs> what do your closets look like? <coughs> Are they disciplined and under control? Do you have what you need? Do you have more than you need? And what are we doing with the excess? Can I ask you about exercise? And diet? Discipline in those areas? The beauty of self-control is that it creates freedom. The beauty of allowing God to give us discipline is that it creates freedom. It gives us freedom from too much, freedom from having to take care of all that stuff, so forth and so on. So what are the areas in which, as beautiful women, we need self-control? One of the things that someone mentioned is emotion management. And I want to take a minute to talk about this. It's not only a woman's issue, but it is also a woman's issue. I teach conflict management, and one of the things that we teach in conflict is in order to resolve conflicts, I also teach communication, in order to communicate effectively, one of the things we have to be able to do is control our emotions. Because under great anger, under great um, pain, so forth and so on, we don't think clearly. We say things we would not normally have said. Okay. And I have found that sometimes we feel that there's something feminine about being out of control. You know anybody who's big on drama? That there just always seems to be some big emotional crisis? There seems to always be something that causes them to be angry or upset or lashing out. And one of the things that we're told is that if our emotions are not under God's control and managed, it opens a space for the devil. Have you noticed that? That there's some mistakes you make, some sins you commit that would not have happened? had you not been in that particular emotional state. And so one of the things that Paul says is, beautiful women are self-controlled. Beautiful women have discipline. I'm going to give you a moment. Those of you who know me know I'm big on takeaways. Take a moment. 
in your notebook or just in your mind, write down the area in which you think God is calling you to greater self-control. You knew it was coming. You saw it coming. What is the takeaway for you? What is the area in which you need greater self-control? And I've never met a woman who didn't need greater self-control in some area. And some of us have a list. Okay. The Lord is working with me on my house. You're like, you can be more disciplined. You can be more disciplined. What is the area in which you need greater self-control? Throughout the day today or this evening, take that to the Holy Spirit. Take that to God. And ask him to begin that process for you today. Don't listen and walk away and ignore the mirror. If the word speaks and it speaks to us, then we see it, we go out, we ask God to work with us and to help us in that area as we make change. So they ought to be self-controlled. They ought to be pure. And we'll talk about purity this afternoon at length. Beautiful women, it says in this passage, are busy at home. Shades of the Proverbs 31 woman. Are they only busy at home? Does the passage say that? No, it does not say that. But what it does say, and this is important, beautiful women take care of homes. How many of you do not live in a home? of some sort, and a dorm room qualifies for now. <laughs> so beautiful women take care of homes. Beautiful women make homes for themselves and for those that God has placed in their purview. So is my dorm room an inviting place not just for me, but also for my roommate? Is my dorm room the kind of room that other people on the hall like to come and visit? Is my apartment the kind of place where people come and feel welcome and safe? Because we sometimes want to make this a discussion about married women in terms of home. All of us live in a home. And men have their responsibilities, but they're not here. We're talking to us. Okay. So one of my questions is, how beautiful is your home? And I'm not asking you about your furniture or the pictures on your wall or how much money you spend, although beauty is important and within our price range, definitely create as beautiful a space as you can. But that's not what I'm asking you about. I'm asking you about welcome and warmth and nourishment and nurture. Are we creating homes that provide the function of a home for us and those that God sends to us, whether they are part of our family or guests, visitors, friends, beautiful women, busy at home, and then they're kind, and they're subject to their husbands. And we'll talk a little bit about the subjection when we talk about leadership this afternoon. Are you getting a sense about inside? and what beauty inside looks like 
so that it can come into the outside. The other passage that I took you through, and we'll go through that a little faster, is Colossians. Colossians 3. And here is interesting because Paul says, clothe yourself in this. Dress yourself in this. This is the way to look elegant. This is the way to look beautiful. Compassion. Kindness. Are you kind? What does it mean to be kind? I used to think of kindness and compassion as things that people have as part of their personalities. You know, there's some people who are just kind. They just seem to always be helpful and gentle and da 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 And I thought, okay, I'm not one of those. <laughs> that was not a gift that I was given. So, until I realized that, wait a minute, Paul does not talk about this in that way. He talks about this as a requirement, that I need to think of others, and then I need to gift others. What is it that would help you? What is it that makes your life easier? What is it that I can give emotionally, physically, or otherwise that blesses? Because beautiful women are compassionate and kind. Humble. Mirror. Mirror. Humble. There's some things that you're really good at. Some of you look really good. Some of you dress really well. Some of you cook really well. And the list goes on and on and on. Sing well, so forth and so on. What does it mean to be humble? Because beautiful women have humility. And when we look at Christ, who had, in reality, everything, we understand a little bit about humility, about that sense of this is not mine by right. You ever met somebody who was totally entitled? They just believed that everything was theirs and they ought to be treated a certain way and you ought to treat them a certain way. My mom's, I'm working in the health system. Not working, but I'm operating in the health system. My mom is in facilities at the moment. And it's interesting to watch family members who come in. And who are the people who are humble and grateful that they're being served? And who are the people who believe that everything ought to be given to them? So we're talking about humility. We're talking about gentleness, patience, forgiveness, peace. And then they said, above all of this, put on love. This beautiful woman are loving. And beautiful women have the word of God dwelling in their hearts. And then I want to hit for a minute one more really important one that Paul keeps hitting before we go on and talk about that beauty coming outside. Beautiful women are thankful. Beautiful women live in a spirit of gratitude. Because gratitude does something very interesting. I guarantee you that those beautiful old ladies that you mentioned earlier, that you thought of earlier, one of the things that they know how to do is be grateful. It is one of those things that changes our personalities 
more than we could imagine. Over and over and over in Scripture, Paul is going to say, be thankful, give thanks, always giving thanks, because thankfulness puts us in an attitude that helps us to be humble, humble. it helps us to be compassionate, it helps us to be kind. Gratefulness is a central gift for us, a central characteristic of a beautiful person. How grateful are you, and how do you know? Is my gratefulness measured by how much I say thank you? I used to think so. And then I realized I say thank you a lot, and I say it automatically, <laughs> without even thinking about it. Oh, thank you. That's oh, Thank you. That's very helpful. Thank you. And then I had to say, are you thankful? Are you stopping and acknowledging that this has just been gifted to you? How often during the day do you stop and think about the things you're thankful for that God has done? Most of us are pretty busy. And often we don't even think of it. Might I recommend another discipline? That you intentionally start recognizing and if necessary, recording the things that you're grateful for. Not just things that God has done, but things that people do, things that you receive, things that you see. Things. Do you realize how many things there are to be grateful for in any given day? Take a moment. Those of you who've got notebooks, list quickly. In what? Oh, I don't have a stopwatch on this one. Um, Wait, I can do it on this one. Let's see what we can do in 30 seconds. How many things can you think of that you're grateful for today in 30 seconds? Do as many as you can. Okay. I'm at about 18. Where are you? 20? All right. And we're not halfway through the day yet. And you forgot some. So imagine how many there are during this day. Take a moment every now and then and just be thankful. It's going to make your face better. Honestly you're going to have a more beautiful face. Because happy people are more beautiful. True? And grateful people are happier. And if you can think of nothing else, we're always grateful for Calvary. We're always grateful for the presence of God in our lives, for the relationship of walking with him and working with him and living with him. So we're talking about beauty from the inside out. If you were that kind of woman, and all of those things, imagine what you would look like. The Bible says about our bodies, in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, that we should present our bodies a living sacrifice unto God. What is your favorite part of your body? What do you think is the most beautiful part of your body? 
Why? Why do you think that's the most beautiful part? Okay, so it feels good, all right? What about the rest of you? I'm not going to ask you all to raise your hand and tell me, all right? But one of the interesting things I find with that question is the reasons that we give for why that's the most beautiful part. Does it look like a standard that somebody gave us? Is it the most admired part of my body? How do I determine that that's the most beautiful? What part of your body do you like the least? Almost everybody has a part that they kind of want to change. I wish I would change. If I could change. When I um, ask that, if I ask it to a group of young people that we have time to talk about it, um, it's interesting, the answers that come up most. But I had someone make a recommendation the other day, thinking about our bodies and how we think about our bodies. And she said, take that part that you like least or that you think is ugliest and look deeper. So, for example, those of you who would have identified your posterior, and I chose that deliberately. How many muscles are there there? There are three large ones, right? And I had a little slide, but there are three large ones. But there are also smaller ones below those. Um, I think when I looked it up, we identified between 12 and 15, depending on who was looking at it, muscles that you need that move your posterior and your hips. No matter what size your posterior is, no matter what shape it is, it has all those muscles working together in tandem, pulling in different directions. And we haven't talked about nerves and blood vessels. When the Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, it's all of us, every single part. And when you start to look at how indeed wonderfully made we are, it brings up a whole different appreciation. For example, I was looking at, um, at some information on breasts, and one of the things that it said was each breast has 15 to 20 lobes, each lobe has 20 to 40 lobules, which means you have 200 to 800 lobules in each breast, and each lobule has milk ducts, and there are 10 duct systems in each breast. Do you know how intricate that is? And all of that functions based on hormones, and those hormones are regulated, so at different points in your life, they change. Do you understand that no matter what size, shape, age, whatever, that's amazing? If we look at our bodies in terms of what God has done, as opposed to some standard that we're comparing ourselves to, we would look at our beauty differently. After I looked all of this up, I was kind of excited about walking and all the muscles that go into walking. And I found myself, and I hope you do too, suddenly focused on some things other than droop and sag and other things that I could look at in terms of my chest. 
And so one of the things as you look at beauty is to look at our own bodies and the bodies of other people as the masterpieces that God has created. That allows us to present our bodies as living sacrifices. You don't give God trash. So if I think of my body as largely trash, largely flawed and broken, then what kind of sacrifice is that to give? Now I encourage us to develop our bodies, make your body as strong, as healthy, so forth as you can. But understand that this is a tremendous gift, a tremendous piece of workmanship, whatever size, whatever shape that particular body is. Is that making sense to you? Would it change your perspective in any way to look at your body that way? And I encourage you to go home and do some study on those pieces of your body that you may not have made friends with in the same way the pieces that you don't think of as your gift and your assets, and to work with them. But also, if I think of my body as a living sacrifice, I might be more likely to look at the movement outside my body in a different way. When we discuss the issue of modesty, what is the question that comes to your mind? Is there a question? What should I wear? Okay, how do you determine that? Pardon me? And that has been the standard that we've used. And I came across an extremely interesting, um, it was a blog entry by a woman named Sierra, and in her blog entry, she talked about feeling that being raised in a Christian tradition that emphasized modesty had been detrimental to her. And so I was really interested in reading this. And she said, you know, we argued against women dressing in ways to attract men, and it was all about men. And she said, but I ended up in a tradition that still made it all about men. And I thought, you know, there may be a point here. It could be all about men because I'm dressing so that I can attract men, and it can all be all about men because every time I put something on, I'm thinking about what are men going to think? How are they going to see that? Is that, in reality, our major standard? And I have, I think, in the past at times taught it in ways that suggested that. Is there another, more overarching reason for modesty in the way that we dress? Okay. To be a witness that it's possible to turn focus to inward beauty rather than outward beauty? to remove the judgmental perspective when we look at other people. Might, I'll take the last one and then I'll move us forward. Might it be that the reason for modesty is about how God sees us? 
and our representation of what he sees. Interesting thing in Genesis in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve found out that they were naked, what did they do? They covered themselves. And the Bible suggests that what they covered themselves with were loincloths. They covered their private areas. And then what happened? God came and covered the rest of them. So from the beginning, God had an interest in, an investment in, how we covered ourselves and what was covered. Let me urge you that modesty first become an issue of God and my relationship to God and my reflection of the restoring image of God in me. God is in the process of restoring his image in me. And what does that look like? And that the issue of, and this is a real issue, of the impact of my dress on men become a secondary issue. So when I stand in the mirror in the morning, when you stand in the mirror in the morning, and I actually have this written over my mirror at home, does this please God? Question number one. Then we can talk about, do I like it? Is it appropriate? But number one, does this please God? Does this woman look like someone who is communicating who God is? Close communicate. There was a clip that I was going to show you, and we've had trouble with my computer all day, so we had no PowerPoint, no clips. But there's a clip, and I, I'll encourage you to go and look it up. The model's name is Cameron Russell, and she did a TED talk. Everybody familiar with TED? She did a TED talk, and I'll, I'm, I'm going to give it away, I'm sorry, but you'll still get to see it. In her TED talk, she comes out dressed in an outfit, it's relatively short and tight and so forth and so on. And on stage, she changes. And she puts on a skirt and covers herself and she puts on a top. And it is an incredibly interesting visual image of the difference that clothing makes. Same person, same context, all right? And one of the things that she argues is clothing communicates. She's a model. But we knew that. You know that when you dress, it says something. Yes? How often do you ask yourself, what am I saying today? My students, when I have that discussion with them, say almost never. Do I stand in the mirror and say, what does this say? And what does it say about God? Does that mean that you need to run around looking dumpy? Obviously not. Because again, we want to say something about God. And there's something that God says about beauty and order and color and design. Another question. What am I emphasizing? I teach public speaking. I tell my students, you know, you got to dress when you're public speaking. You know, make sure you dress appropriately for the audience. And one of the questions that I say to them is, when you dress, what will the audience be looking at? 
where is their eye going to be drawn? And if during your presentation it's anywhere other than your face, you might want to reconsider. I would say the same thing about the way that we dress. If it draws attention to areas of our body that we're not seeking to emphasize, then there's an issue with the dress. And admit it, we all have assets. We have different assets, and as we age, they change. But we all have assets. But what assets do we want people to know us for? I'm thinking that it's all that inner stuff that we just talked about, all those inside characteristics. And dressing certain ways distracts us from, or distracts other people from, an emphasis on that. So I'm not going to give you formulas. I'm not going to say to you, you know, your skirt should be this length, and you're th I'm not going to give you formulas. Because the truth of the matter is, the formulas don't work, because we have different shapes and different sizes. And something that looks very modest on one of us does not look modest on another one of us. Okay? I, I was looking for something, and I said, I need to go somewhere where they have longer skirts. And someone who works with me said, I found the perfect place. You should go to such and such a place. And I went. I wasn't thinking. She's five foot one. <laughs> they had longer skirts for her. Okay. But they did not work for me. So my question is, what is it? What is it that allows us to reflect the beauty of Christ. Right? And I'm not going to give you a list. I'm not going to say, you know, it's this, this, this. What I can give you are some questions, some issues to look at. One of them is that question of what, of, what am I emphasizing? Another one is what am I communicating? And a third is what happens when I move? Have you ever put something on that looked wonderful when you were standing and then changed when you were sitting? Or something that was great until I bent over or stretched up? Okay. When you're doing that mirror check for modesty, do the whole check, the entire check. Because guess what? We're women and we're going to move. If we're doing what we should be doing in the world, we're going to move. We're going to be in different directions and shapes. And someone asked me about exercise. And was it immodest for women to be involved in exercise? Our bodies were made to move. And I'm assuming that we're talking about exercise um, in, in sort of natural kinds of things. I mean, there are some exercise programs that are variations on some interesting dance moves and so forth. And I think we might need to be very careful about those, right? I, I really do. Um, but in terms of general exercise, it's about finding something to wear that's appropriate for that particular exercise in that particular context. Because one of the, uh, the things that this young lady, Sierra, suggested in her particular presentation was that in her tradition, they had encouraged her not to do certain exercises because they, the, this is immodest. It's immodest to do those kinds of exercises. Well, what's the context? Who are you there with? 
um, how is it being done? And can you wear something that's appropriate under those circumstances? I think those become the big, big issues. Now, the challenge, of course, is that's not easy to do. When I go to the store to look for a business suit, nowadays, I'm in and out of stores, and I'm in and out of stores, and I was in the mall the other day, and I went into one of the big box stores, and I said, I'm looking for a business suit, and I'm looking for a skirt that's a little longer than this. And the woman said to me, I think we have a skirt. And she wasn't kidding. This was, I think, a Dillard's. She said, we have a skirt. And when they found the A skirt, it wasn't in my size. And she looked at me and she said, I'm so sorry. We don't have anything else. And I went to several stores in that mall with pretty much the same result. Does that then mean, because it's difficult, that we don't do it? When we say we present our bodies as sacrifice, sometimes I feel like David, who said, I won't offer you anything that costs me nothing, because sometimes it costs. But what is the fallout? What does modesty do in the end for us? One, it often has to do with self-respect. But you know what modesty also does for us? Every time we look in the mirror, we remember whose we are. Every time we look in the mirror, we reaffirm who we belong to. In the same way that diet can do that, in the same way that Sabbath keeping does that, every time that we are obedient, we reaffirm who we belong to. And Isaiah 43, where um, God says, you are my witnesses. You are the ones that go out there and demonstrate me. You are the ones that show me lived in the world. So one of the things that I challenge you is to be beautiful. Christians ought to be the most beautiful people in the world. I encourage you to be beautiful from the inside out. Don't start the wrong way. Because I have met some people who have the most modest looking clothing that I have ever seen. It's long, it's high, and floppy, so you shouldn't be afraid that it's too tight, and mean, just flat out mean. That is not the beauty of Christ. I've seen some people who dress really modestly, but they slander, and they backbite, and they talk about people. That is not the beauty of Christ. We cannot substitute clothing for inner beauty. We cannot substitute, quote-unquote, modesty for inner beauty. You know how the Bible says that a quiet spirit? Have you met people with quiet voices? They talk quietly and kind of high, and they have 
what I used to call holy voices. <laughs> and, and you know why I would think that, right? But then I understood that the Bible did not say have a quiet voice. It said a quiet and gentle spirit. A quiet and gentle spirit manifests itself often in a quiet voice. But a quiet, gentle spirit sometimes manifests itself in a voice that has volume. A beautiful inside, an inside like Christ, shows itself in a beautiful outside. Let me tell you a story about my mother. I was studying this, and it was so powerful to me. I think I mentioned earlier that my mom right now has had several strokes. She can't move. She can't talk. She can't do anything. So she's basically lying in bed, and people come, and they turn her, and they change her, and they do whatever. And many of these people did not know my mother before. They don't know anything about her. And people kept saying to me, your mother's so beautiful. Your mother's so beautiful. And I kept thinking, what is she doing? What is she saying? She's not doing anything. She's not saying anything. And so I finally said, what do you mean? And they said, she's got such a beautiful presence about her. She's not talking. She's not moving. And I came home one day, and the young lady who was working with me, oh, oh, I'm so excited. Your mom spoke. Your mom spoke. And, you know, we were all just, ah, you know, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. And I said, what did she say? She said, she said, thank you. And the Holy Spirit convicted me at a level that I had not been convicted in a long time. I want to have the kind of inside that when all the other outside stuff is gone, when my hair is worse than it is now, when I'm wearing a hospital robe that's open in the back, so dignified. When I can't move and I can't speak, there is in me such a strong presence of the Spirit of God that has grown out of study of his word, that has grown out of looking into that mirror and letting the Holy Spirit adjust me, that even in that state, someone will say, what a beautiful woman. What a beautiful woman woman. Can you imagine churches filled with beautiful women? We can talk about the men how much you want, but do you know what a church full of beautiful women can do? Can you imagine workplaces filled with beautiful women? Let me tell you something you don't have to imagine. Heaven is only going to have beautiful women. That's all. You know those ugly women? They won't be there. But I'm so praying that we will. And so we start now. We start now. Holy Spirit, grab us on the inside. Change us on the inside and move it out 
to the outside and then make it contagious. That's how, part of how God is going to use us to change the world is to make us so beautiful that people just want to be in your presence. They just want to operate with you, so forth and so on. This afternoon, I'm going to talk about purity. I'm going to talk about leadership. I'm going to talk about that S word, submission. <laughs> but now, let's pray, ask the Holy Spirit to seal in our hearts whatever he's given to us. Lord, we came with differing needs. We came with different experiences. But we're so grateful to be loved by you. We're so grateful, Lord, that we are women that you died for. And Lord, we're grateful that you see each of us as beautiful. But we have beauty, Lord, that can be enhanced. We have beauty that can become more like yours. They say you weren't that handsome as much as you were beautiful and attractive and drew people to you. So change us, Lord. Change us inside. Make us beautiful on the inside in ways that can't help but radiate on the outside. And then, Lord, clothe us. Clothe us in compassion and kindness and peace and forgiveness and all of those things that make us beautiful women. And then, Lord, help us to put on top of it the kinds of clothing, the kinds of outward garments that demonstrate the woman that we are inside. And may everybody who sees us, everybody who comes in contact with us, not only be attracted to us, but even more, be attracted to you in us so that they are drawn to you. We look forward to what you're going to do and we give you all the honor and all the glory. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, When All Has Been Heard, in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.